Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 193. And as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, what better way to cap off your hard day of work or even leisure activity than with an ice-cold frothy Labatt Blue. But we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. And let's bring in our guest. It's Max Boltman from The Athletic, Red Wing beat writer, among many other things. I almost draft guru at this point, too, though. I mean, uh, but uh, <laughs> Max, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Art. The, the draft gurus do not uh, accept me. I am I am merely draft adjacent, but uh, I, I appreciate the, the promotion well, you, from you. Thank here. you, Max. I, I, I'm your biggest fan, second to you, of course. But uh, yeah. Uh, but with that said, you know, I, I I just do not like the draft lottery, and I, I know that the Red Wings didn't move up or down. Thank God. Uh, but uh, you know, they're ninth overall. Uh, I would just like to see the lottery done away with and just go in order of, you know, finish worst to best, if that's even possible uh, yet. Uh, you know, and I don't have a problem with the Stanley Cup champion drafting last, uh, 32nd. Uh, but uh, but with that said, your just thoughts on the lottery in general. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. I think it's it's the way that all the major leagues except the NFL have pretty much decided to go. And I, I you know, I think the NHL is honestly closer to the NFLs than uh, the NBA's or the new MLB one anyway. So to me, it's just the way it is. And I, I think uh, most years you don't, you're not going to have these tanking races to the bottom because in, in most years that's still a little unpredictable. Like 2022, I don't know that Yuri Slavkovsky was someone people were tanking for although at the start of the year you know Shane Wright maybe was thought to be but you, you see what can happen right Shane Wright ends up going fourth anyway uh this year obviously an exception but I think it, it would have been even worse without the lottery so to me I, I don't well, know yeah I, I look at it this way and, and and I guess because everyone talks about tanking and you know and I always try to explain uh and I've talked to our buddy Kevin Allen about this many many times is that you know, and I guess we're both in agreement, is, is that organizations tank, players don't tank. When, when, they make, when they make moves and, you know, whether they trade whomever, uh, one of their superstar, aging veteran superstar players to another organization, so they a, a team that's making a cap run that thinks that veteran player can help them, okay, I get that and I understand that. But the player that replaces that player um, is certainly not out there to tank it. He's out there because it's an opportunity and maybe he can, you know, hook on with that team or, you know, increase his resume and, and actually have an NHL career. So I, I guess my point is, is that the organizational tank is always going to happen. Having a convoluted system, which I believe, especially the NHL draft is, I know they've modified it recently. I just... I'm just not a fan of it. I'm just not a fan of it. But again, I'm speaking from, you know, a pure Red Wing fan perspective, uh, dropping eight times, never moving up once, you know, staying, you know, at least not dropping, what, three or four times since the Red Wings have unfortunately qualified for the draft. But anyway, uh, expression that everybody uses, it is what it is. I guess you have to accept it as much as in my case, it just infuriates me. But... I think you even saw kind of a new form of it, though, this year, right? Where it was, they were outright scratching these guys for weeks at a time, it seemed like. How long did Arizona sit Jacob Chikorin before they traded him in the name of, 
you know, asset management, or I forget what they called this one, like pending trade or trade considerations, or there was some some catchphrase that they had with it. But it, they did it for like three weeks, and I think that's like a whole new level, right? Because you're right when when you when you have a player in the lineup, the players are never they don't care, they don't want they don't want the number one pick no. necessarily. They they want they want their job. They don't want someone who's going to come replace them. Uh, they want to win games. But uh, the team, when the team can take drastic action like that, and I think a year like this with, with guys like Bedard and Fantilli at the top, uh, I think we've seen that organizations will take drastic action to it. And I, I do think it's – you don't want – even ironically, the NBA is probably the league where this kind of stuff happens the most, and, and maybe not coincidentally, I guess, they have the most uh, restrictive lottery uh, to you know so many draws. But um, – Man, I, I don't know. I, I, I just think that most of the time it works out pretty close to the order. Some team gets a break. Right, right. And, you know, and I, I think certainly fans were miffed when Chicago won, you know, after a one-year tank yeah. and, uh, you know, with uh, some of their off-ice pass history to be rewarded like that, I think really uh, uh, soured a lot of fans. But I guess regardless, they, you know, if your team didn't get Connor Bedard or Adam Fantilli, you were going to be sour anyway. So uh, maybe that's the way to look at it. I just think that uh, there's just a better way. There's a better system. But unfortunately, you know, the Red Wings are at number nine. And Max, I've read everything that you read. And, uh, you know, before we get into the ninth pick, you wrote a great story. We're taping this on uh, on Thursday, May 11th, or recording this, I should say, uh, about the Red Wings draft position. Uh, and since they've qualified or since 2017, where they, uh, where they fell two spots and, and ended up picking Michael Rasmussen, which coincidentally was the first draft that I was working for the Red Wings and I was at that draft, so I always considered Michael Rasmussen to be kind of my Red Wing because he was the first pick and uh, the first I was a, a player that I talked to. And Michael's a, a just a great guy. Uh, but yep. you know, they still did drop. People thought it might be Marty Natchez, but the crux of your story is that you know, okay, they dropped, they didn't go up, and they had, you know, it would have been great, and maybe maybe the biggest player, and I don't want to give everything away on your story, was is that it was more organizational picks, what the organization did, as opposed to where they fell in the draft. Is that a fair assessment? I think that's half of it, yeah. So, to me, it's, it's if, you, if you're looking at the, the years that they dropped, right, so, so that was really 2018, 2019, 2020, uh, and 2017. And so if you look at 2017 and 2018, you know, they dropped, yes, but the players who went in between where they were supposed to pick and where they picked were, were not players that I think anyone's, you know, really crying about not getting, right? In, in 2017, you should have picked seventh, but I don't think anyone is mad that the Red Wings didn't get Leas Anderson, who's not even in the league anymore, or really Casey Middlestat even, who had a nice year this year, but frankly, so did Michael Rasmussen. When I see people complain about, you know, the, the 2017 draft, it's that, oh, I wish, I wish it would have been Marty Natchez. I wish it would have been Nick Suzuki or Robert Thomas. And those guys were also on the board. Red Wings still could have picked those guys. That wasn't the lottery's fault, right? It would have been great if they'd have won the lottery and could have picked Elias Pettersson and Nico Heischer and Kale McCarr for sure, obviously. I think uh, that would have been. But they had like a less than a 10% chance to do so. And, and same deal in, in 2018 with Zadina. You know, yeah, I guess you could have got Barrett Hayden, who had a nice, nice season last year. But... Uh, the, the the people that uh, the players that people complain about not getting went after Zadina, right? Hughes and Dobson and Bouchard. So, 
Um, to me, it, it, I'm not saying that like they messed up. I think Michael Rasmussen's turned into a heck of a player, and he's a really important piece for the Red Wings. Honestly, I think nine, somewhere in that like nine to twelve range is where he probably belongs. And so, um, I guess if you did a redraft, I don't know exactly where he comes out. Maybe it's you know, but it, it's not that late, right? They, it, I think Michael Rasmussen's been a really nice pick. And I, my main point is just that dropping that year didn't hurt them. Um, because the players who went in those spots, you know, weren't that great anyway. And really, I think the other half of it is with the 2019 and 2020, you know, 2020 is, is the year that I think the Red Wings truly did get robbed. They were the worst team in the league by right. a mile. You and I lived all those games, Art, and they were uh, not pleasant for anyone involved, I think we can say. And so to pick fourth that year certainly looked like a slap in the face at the time. But what I'll say is, as we sit here three years after that draft... Uh, where does Lucas Raymond go in that draft, in a redraft? I think it's probably two or three, right? Tim Stutzla is probably going number one. And then I think it's either Lucas Raymond or Jake Sanderson who's probably going number two. And so from that standpoint, it worked out okay for him. I, I think you'd rather have Lucas Raymond than Alexi Lafreniere today. Maybe even more than – I still think I had a Quentin Byfield right. today, well, right? You know, exactly. And I think maybe you knew back then and I knew back then – that the player that they did covet was Stutzla. That's the guy that they actually wanted in that draft. Although heading into that draft, and I, you know, I've told this story before. I, I went to the uh, uh, the summer showcase series out at the uh, USA Hockey Arena out there in Plymouth, the home of the development program. And I remember going there, and Lafreniere and uh, Lucas Raymond, who I think was hurt during it or played, but he was still he wasn't a hundred percent. They were considered to be the two top picks, you know, going into his draft year. This was back in August, yep. so uh, and, and I had heard that the night before the draft from really well placed sources that at four the Red Wings were going to take Lucas Raymond. They liked Lucas Raymond. I can't remember. You know, back then I probably had a goaltender, Askarov or somebody. I think he was in that class. You know, it was I'm always goaltender obsessed, so I was probably going that way. But but I remember it wasn't Lucas Raymond. But when they drafted Lucas Raymond, I, I knew that heading into his draft year, which was it was kind of a checkered year, he had some injuries and stuff like that. That uh, uh, that that Raymond was right up there in the top of the class, though. I mean, yeah. he was rated very, very highly, and for him to get him at fourth and for him to develop as he has, really, you're right. I mean, it, it, you know, it's it really did work out well for the Red Wings when it could have been completely disastrous. Totally. And so, to me, my takeaway from that, and, and this what inspired the article, is just that like it 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 is a bummer for fans. I get this that that you never got the break that teams like Buffalo and New Jersey got. Both those teams actually got two first overall picks since 2017. So that's and not surprisingly, I expect they're going to be two of the best teams in the Eastern Conference for the next decade. Um, I get that's disappointing for Red Wings fans who were who were just as bad as either of those teams, and they just didn't get that break. But if you look at the way each of those drafts played out. I really don't think they've been hurt all that much. I think they're coming out of it pretty much where they should be. Maybe you have quibbles with a couple of the picks there. And, and really, honestly, you know, I think we both have a lot of respect for Ken Holland. It's probably the last two picks that Holland made there. Rasmussen and Zadina are probably the two in, in, in this kind of rebuild bottom-out era that, you know, maybe you can find the quibbles with. But like I was just saying, I think Michael Rasmussen's a really key piece for them. I think he's going to be an even better piece when they're in the playoffs. So... I really think they're okay. They're they're in an okay spot. You'd love to obviously get that franchise changing superstar, but you don't always know who that guy is. I think that's that's part of this too, right? I don't know that if you got Lafreniere or or Yuri Slavkovsky that you're you know 
in a materially better position right. than I, you are now. You know, if you get Hughes, you are. If you get Darlene, maybe you are. And but I think another know. way to look at this, too, is that obviously the Red Wings, to help accelerate this rebuild, although I did see Sebastian Cosa last night make 43 saves in uh, uh, yep. And, you know, if Sebastian Cosa is accelerated and he's a much different goaltender than I saw last September to where he is today in May uh, playing for the Walleye. And the Walleye and, you know, the ECHL has come a long way. It's a pretty, it's a good brand of hockey. And this is a great development thing for Sebastian. And, you know, I, I call him the doctor. And the, the doctor... I could tell just talking to him after the game last night. I mean, if if he could accelerate his process, it. I mean, he could go a long way in helping this rebuild too. I mean, there's no question. And totally. I think what Red Wing fans are looking at is that, my God, they just need a superstar scorer. They just need somebody who consistently can score goals. A guy that might go two or three games, but you know is good to be popping one in. You know, you're not going to have these prolonged goal slumps by guys. And I'm not trying to criticize this current group of Red Wings because they're out there, they're trying. But how many times this year where they had trouble scoring goals and you would look at the guys who were counted on scoring goals and all of them were like in, it seemed like a double-digit goal-scoring drought. I mean, you can't have that right. if you're going to be an elite team. Right, totally. And, and you know what? Like, I think they're, they're going into this offseason. Everything we've heard from Derek Alone and from Steve Eiserman says they are well aware of that and they are committed to you know making that a priority this summer. Now, how does it happen is going to be really interesting. You know, Lone even talked about different ways they can coach to try to address that. I think, you know, Steve Eiserman is probably going to want to go out and find a little external help. But that, that's my expectation for, for them. But he also talked about some of this coming internally. And when we talk about a guy like Zadina, you know, it, I think you have to acknowledge that that hasn't happened for him yet. He hasn't been that driver that they expected him to be. And you and I both were among the many people, Art, who when he was there at number six, it was an absolute no-brainer for them to pick him. Um, and I think the Red Wings still hoped going into this year that he was going to be part of, you know, an improved offense for them. He, he he obviously was, you know, really banged up all year, didn't ever play enough to, to really have that happen. But, you know, even when he's been healthy, it, that hasn't happened yet. But I don't know that anyone's completely given up on Philip Zadina. No, not at all. I, I don't think Steve has. You know, it's really interesting. Our, our social media guru, or one of them, uh, uh, Andrew uh, Bossman Kristoff, has a, right. and it made the rounds back then. I was in Dallas when they drafted, and I really wanted Zadina because I wanted, even back then, the Red Wings need goal scoring. And when he dropped to them at six, my reaction, and I'm sitting like in the NHL media section where other teams are, I was going crazy. I mean, I was just like, yeah, because I, I thought that, I think it was the Coyotes that were ahead of them, and they took Barrett Hayton, you know, and I figured, okay, all right, well, and, and then the Red Wings took Zadina. I was overjoyed. And the thing is, Max, and I know we've talked about this, but the thing about Zadina, especially when he first came at that first development camp, hard, quick, shot, accurate, can get, yep. you know, it gets off his stick, as I said, you know, like within milliseconds. I mean, he just looked like what a definitive goal scoring forward would be in the NHL and for whatever reason and a variety of reasons it's just has not panned out yet yet I still think he's young Steve gave him a three-year deal uh you know you know and it's not a whole lot of money 
you know, by today's standards. And so I still think based on how he was, quote unquote, rewarded for not a large body of work to get that contract. Yeah. Uh, there's still that sends a message to me that, yeah, they have not given up on him. I agree. And you know what? I've been a Zadina believer, you know, probably to a fault at times, like even when when the evidence hasn't been there. But I just I can't sometimes shake what I see from him. These little moments. He's clearly such a smart player. There's a lot of skill there. You know, I, I do want to see that shot that, that you and I both saw that release that was off his stick so quick and right, right where we're supposed to go at that first development camp. For whatever reason, that hasn't showed up in, in NHL action yet. And maybe it maybe it never will. Like it, it, sometimes that happens. But um, I have a hard time saying that, that this guy can't can't still be a, a really good 20-goal scorer in the NHL just because when I look at him and I watch him play, that's what it looks like he should be. It'll either happen or it won't, but I am not ready to say that he can't be it. I'm not saying I'm predicting he will, but I am not t- saying that he can't because I, I still think there's a heck of a hockey player somewhere well, in I can there, remember you know? when they first drafted him, talking to people within the organization, uh, you know, saying, you know, yeah, he, you know, he could, he's a legitimate 40 goal scorer guy in the NHL, legitimate sure. 40 goal scorer. Then after his first year, the same people were saying, well, maybe it's 25. <laughs> and so, you know, they were seeing something, but I always, I just attributed that to experience. He just needs experience and experience yeah. and consistency. And it just seems like my biggest thing that I can't understand and, and we'll move on to the draft here soon but is that he's never had that moment where he scores eight goals in 15 games or something you know I mean there's you know there's never been that wow moment with him at this level and it you know I'm, I, I mean I don't mean to sound melodramatic almost breaks my heart because as you said he he gives you everything he has He's not a maligner. Yep. I mean, this guy works, and you know, and because yep. of that, you want him to do well. Totally. I, I, you know what? I don't think I've ever met someone who hasn't. You know, like there, there's there there have been these kind of quote unquote mercurial wingers in the league who you know get drafted high and it doesn't work out, and there's kind of this you know air around them of you know whatever you don't want to they're moody you don't want to talk that's never been my experience with philip zadina he's been a guy you know Derek alone couldn't say enough about philip zadina this year and how he battled back from that injury like that's just not who this guy is he he puts in the work and it's it is a mystery to me why it hasn't happened for him um but i i still think like you said he he puts the time in everybody seems to like him you know will it happen i don't know but i i still just think uh I completely understand why the Red Wings picked him there. I thought it was a no-brainer at the time. I still think there's a chance that it works out, and and we'll see whether or not it does. But uh, I don't I don't think it's for lack of effort. That's that's the one. All thing right, I'd let's say move for sure. on to this year's draft. We know they're they're at number nine. We're assuming that they're going to also be at number seventeen. But you know the Leafs won last night, and now they're back in Toronto. And although I think Florida has been just a juggernaut on the road this year, so. Uh, so we'll see how that series turns out. So it'll either be 17 or 18. Uh, you know, they have, uh, what is it, five picks in the top 43, I think it is, going off the top of my head. I mean, they're, 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 and there seems to be a, a deep draft. Uh, but let me ask you your opinion about this year's draft. You were on the, uh, uh, the Steve Eisenman uh, Zoom call along with me. And I asked Steve, yep. you know, I just said what I just told you. You had these five picks. Do you feel that this is the... Uh, 
the best position you've been in heading into the draft because of these five picks and it's supposedly a deep draft. And Steve's answer was, whenever you have elite level talent at the top of the draft, everyone thinks it's a deep draft. Now, I don't know how to take that meeting. Is it a deep draft and he's not going to let on that it's a deep draft? Or if he's saying, look, you know, when you have a Bedard and a Fantilli and, you know, maybe a, a Carlson in there and uh, 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 Mickoff, I might be mispronouncing his name, Mitchkoff, Mitchkoff. the uh, the, uh, 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 the Russian player, uh, maybe he's right. You know, I always kind of defer to whatever Steve says in a way because – when he speaks, he's usually straightforward with you. You know, he's not trying to put up any kind of uh, uh, cloud the picture. But, uh, you know, is it a deep draft or is it a deep draft or the perception there? Because, as Steve said, you have some really high-end talent at the top. Well, so I, I've heard that sentiment before that, that Steve said that day. And I, I our, my uh, podcast co-host, Corey Pronman on the Athletic Hockey Show, makes this point often, and that's that when people talk about deep drafts, that is what they're talking about. They're talking about the top of the draft, right? So imagine this draft without a couple of guys toward the top who have late birthdays, right? So Adam Fantilli is a late birthday. Leo Carlson is a late birthday. I think Mitchkov is even a late birthday. If you subtract those three guys from this class and put them in last year's class, all of a sudden this year's class goes Connor Bedard, Will Smith at number two. And at that point, I don't think we're talking about a super deep class because every single player in the class is going three spots sooner than they would have, except for Bedard, right? So from that sense, I think that's kind of part of what he's talking about, right? When you have four guys, five guys like that at the top um, who are really kind of quote-unquote premium picks, all of a sudden now the guys you're talking about at number nine are guys that you might have been talking about at number four or number five in another right. year, right? So that's kind of, I think, what happens. But it's we're really still just talking about three or four guys. And what Steve kind of said, I thought this was really funny. He said, we talk about deep drafts when there's someone really special at the top. Um, and that's we, we say it's a deep draft. And then at the end of his answer, he said, so what I'm saying, Art, is I think it's a really, really deep draft, right? So that tells you he thinks there's a couple really special guys at the top. He's not going to have the chance more than likely to pick one unless because of the Russia stuff, Michkov, you know, really starts to fall, which could happen. Um, But I still think they're going to get a guy at nine who you might have been talking about around six or seven or maybe even five in another year. And so I think that's where it's – but by, by 17 or 18 with their second pick, I think it's going to be pretty much what it normally is at 17 or 18. But I do think it's possible at nine you're getting a guy who maybe you would have gotten at well, six Well, it was funny because when Steve said that to me and then I said, well, I'm going to hold you to that, Steve, you know, and uh, that it's a deep draft, you know. <laughs> uh, Try to throw the ball back in his court a little bit. But, you know, this is what I've also heard about this year's draft. And I don't know, Max, if you've heard this or not, but at, at 17 or 18 – the player that the Red Wings are going to draft because next year's draft is not considered strong because there's probably not a Bedard or Fantilli up there yet, at least yet, is that the player that they get at 17 or 18, if he were not available this year and his draft year was next season, he could be top five. That That's how deep it is. I, I don't but, think yeah, so. Okay. I, I, I know there are people who, who who might say that I don't I don't believe that. I don't either. I mean I actually don't, but I mean I just find it I you know, I mean it's such a crapshoot after a while. You know what I mean? You get after the you know first totally. five six guys and 
you know, then, you know, best player available, you're drafting for need and, and all that. I go, I, I can't believe it. It could be the discrepancy in talent in draft year from year to year. I don't think can be that high. I just don't. It's, it just doesn't seem possible. I agree. But really you're, you're dealing with averages, right? Like, it, you know, on average, you're going to get, you know, one or two really special guys in a class this year. It looks like there's maybe three, maybe four. And that, that does make a difference, especially within the top 10, because people get s- slipped down a little bit. But by the time you're into those teens, and, and you know, even next year's class, I get that, you know, but Macklin Celebrini is a really impressive prospect. Oh, we yeah. just saw him have a tremendous World U18 tournament, right? I'm not saying he's Bedard, but he's a great prospect. Uh, Cole Iserman, different spelling, no relation, uh, had a really great World U18 tournament from the U.S. National Program. He's a really nice prospect. And I think next year, my understanding is, while this year is a really forward heavy crop there's some d next year that are really impressive and so uh it won't shock me if next year the the tune changes i don't think anyone's going to be saying it's as good as this year but it won't shock me if if by the time we're into the next year's class people aren't starting aren't talking about it that way anymore i think most years people want to think that they're in a really good draft class year uh whether that's for their own hope or not but uh i, I think ultimately most of them are pretty average. I think this is an above average. Right. Just you my know, perception. I, I mean, I kind of agree with you. You know, I, I start really covering the the draft in September, starting to look at prospects and see what's going on, and yep. you know how the Red Wings are, season is playing out. What's going on with uh, with Grand Rapids and Toledo, and seeing you know where the organization is prospects wise, and you know with the big club. And this is my philosophy on what the Red Wings should do in, in the ninth pick. Almost all the fellas that I read about or the guys that, you know, and and I think they want to go offense. I think they want to go forward and I think they want to go center at nine. I mean, you know, if they could if they could build the perfect player. Uh, But I hear a lot of guys that right around nine are a great two way player. They're they you know, they play both ends. They're hard and gritty, which the Red Wings are want to emphasize. I understand that, too. They've gone on record saying that. But if I'm drafting ninth, I am looking. And if there's a guy who is accelerating as a goal scorer, you know, I, I hope he has a high hockey IQ. I know that's the number one priority for the Red Wings. But if he's a scorer, just a proven goal scorer at whatever level he's playing at, and he's available, I don't care if he's a 200-foot player. I'm drafting that guy. I'm drafting him because I think that's how desperate this club needs to find goal scoring. Max, am I crazy? I don't think it's crazy. I just think when you're drafting at nine, I don't think you need to be making huge concessions like that, right? Like, I don't think it's unreasonable. There's a guy, uh, Ryan Leonard, for the U.S. national program this year. Scored 50 goals in 57 games. I think he's a tremendous scorer. He's also a two-way guy. I don't know if he gets to nine, but there's a chance that he gets to nine. I think he'd be my kind of number one uh, realistic target for them in that range. But I do think there's some good questions to be asked after him who you're going to have some decisions, right? You're going to get a guy like Colby Barlow who scored nearly 50 goals in the OHL this year. Pure score for sure. And you're going to compare him to guys like... uh, uh, Nate Danielson from the Western League, who's a really complete two-way center, uh, was, a, I, I believe, a captain for that team. Um, and, and you're going to have guys like Oliver Moore, who might be the fastest player in the draft, has a really good shot. He's also a really complete player. Is he as good a pure goal scorer as Barlow? I don't know. 
And that's where you're going to have some trade-offs. But I don't think you're looking at one-dimensional in the, in the top 10 anyway, right? I think you're looking for guys who can do a little bit of both, who can score the goal and who can be complete. And to your point, I think uh, you know we do see hockey IQ and competitiveness. Have they drafted a player who they don't say both of those two things about yet, at least in the early it's, rounds? It's always high hockey, high hockey IQ, good compete level. Uh, and That's right. you know, yeah. and a two-way player. He plays all, you know, two hundred foot player. I get all that. I understand that. And I am now at this point going from just pure emotion. I am not being rational here. Yeah. I'm the first to admit it. <laughs> I mean, hey, this guy scored fifty some odd goals in forty two games, whatever it is. Guess what? Yeah. You know, he's up there with everybody else anyway. I mean, it's not going to be a guy that's like rated the 100th best prospect. Suddenly the Red Wings are going to pull a rabbit out of their hat, so to speak. But boom, that's the guy I'm going to go with. I mean, that's the guy I'm going with. But then again, let me switch it off. They need. So maybe the, maybe it's like the Gabe Perot type then for you, right? He just broke Austin Matthews. Now, it's not necessarily pure goal scoring, goal scoring, but it. Offense in general, he broke Austin Matthews' single season, you know, points record at the. Well, NCDP you know what, and I'll tell you what, he was on a great line. I mean, a, a, an iconic, historic yep. line for Team USA. I mean, with Will Smith, Ryan Leonard, and uh, Gabe Perot. I mean, they. Uh, I mean, every time totally. they were on the ice, they were definitely the best three players on the ice. It regard, you know, regardless. Oh, yeah. I wish they would have. I don't think they played Team Canada at all in the U18s. No, I don't think. They yeah, did. I mean, You're I, right, because they were in yeah, different I mean, divisions. Celebrini yeah. or whatever, that kid was great too. I mean, he came up at big moments, and you know, there's always more pressure on Team Canada on a national scale yeah. than there is Team USA. Even though the development program, the U18, I mean, that's what though, that's what the U18, that's the team that Team USA or that whole league or the development program, that's their tournament. That's the one where they want to dominate. Totally. That's the one that they want to win. And they're pretty successful in that. I mean, the U.S. development program, and I go back to the days when uh, you know, uh, when they when they first started, there's no question that what they're what they wanted to do uh, uh, is 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 been a great success and has really elevated USA hockey. Yes, I agree. And and, and Canada also has a little bit of a disadvantage. Um, along those lines to what you're saying is the U.S. team is building toward this tournament for two years. Canada has still got their playoffs. And, and so the 18s don't even play right, in the in right. the USHL playoffs. Uh, the the 17s do. And, and so the, the Canada kids, you know, you're looking at guys like Zach Benson, who's going to be a top 15 pick, an option for the Red Wings, certainly around nine, doesn't go to this tournament because he's still playing in the playoffs. Braden Yeager is a guy who could be in their mix either at 9 or at 17. Doesn't go to this tournament. They have good players there, and they had Macklin's up. Connor Bedard, obviously. How did I not even mention him? He didn't even go to this tournament, right? right? So Canada doesn't always have their very best players at the event. Um, but because it's Canada, there is always right. that pressure. And, and, no and because, right, they don't. And uh, but, but again, I mean, the whole... The whole reason why the USA, you know, development program even exists was to create a national identity for USA hockey, and that certainly has uh, has certainly done that. I mean, I you know, without without question, it certainly uh, has uh, has done that. So then let's look at number nine, and and before we get, you know, I, I'm thinking offense, I'm thinking forward for sure. Um, is there if a defenseman drops, it's not a 
huge class in defensemen. Is there a right-handed shot yeah. that if uh, this young man falls or someone maybe we're not looking at that if he's there at nine, you're going to see the uh, you're going to see uh, the Red Wings grab this kid. So I'd say the four kind of I don't know if we're going to call it consensus, but four really high level kind of maybe 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 consensus or maybe uh, you know. Public opinion, I think, would tell you there's four real D to watch, and three of them are actually right-hand shots. The fourth is is Russian Dmitry Simashev, um, who I really like. I think he's got a ton of the kind of Red Wings profile traits in terms of a big mobile two-way D. You know, six foot four, skates good, seems to uh, play both ends of the ice, has some skill, can defend. Like, so I I do think he's an option. I know nobody wants to hear about left D with how many left D prospects the Red Wings have. But the three righties that we can probably focus on are David Reinbacher, who my guess is will be gone before it gets to Detroit. Uh, Axel Sandin Pelica, the Swede, who I know people really like. Um, impressive player, kind of offensive D, smaller D, but moves well. Um, has good skill and, and vision, obviously. I think he would be a nice fit. And also kind of a player the Red Wings don't really have uh, anyone similar to necessarily um, in that profile. And then there's Tom Volander who really came on outstanding U18 tournament, the Rogla player. Obviously we know the Red Wings, um, have had some success taking guys, uh, who have come through that program in recent years, outstanding skater, a little bit more size to him, six, one, uh, another two way player. I I think if you talk about, I I think Reinbacher will be gone Would Sandine Pelica or Willander, Villander, sorry, uh, stun me not one bit. I think uh, either of those two guys would be would be good options for them. Whether it's at nine or you know ideally perfect world, if you get one of them at seventeen, I think you're walking out of the draft. Absolutely right. Well, thrilled. when you look at the Red Wings history, especially under Steve, uh, let's go to 2019. Uh, you know, heavy in European uh, one draft, and he said it just yep. helped that way. They didn't even draft a player from the Canadian Hockey League, which includes the O, the WHL, and uh, and the Quebec League. Uh, and uh, except for Carter Mazur, I don't know if they've ever developed a, a guy from the U.S. Uh, development program, which is turning out very impressive. Well, Mazur wasn't even from the program. He was uh, of the USHL. I mean, Savage yeah, Red Savage. Program, I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, Red, Red Savage okay, is what yeah, I yeah, meant. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, thank, thanks for correcting me. I mean, right, Red Savage, you know, for, and, and I shouldn't. I get those two mixed up all the time. And. Well, they were the same class. I think they played against each other in the little season. Yeah, you know, they, but, but Red Savage, yet the, the USA program, I mean, all you have to do is look at these current playoffs. They're guys from all over that program. You know, do you think this yep. might be the first year that maybe Steve rolls the dice and maybe we do see an American drafted at nine? I think there's a lot of really good options, you know. God help the the person who thinks they can you know get into his read his mind right and I'm not gonna pretend to be that person uh, but there's some really good candidates and I think a lot of guys who have the traits that we see the Red Wings target whether it's a Leonard whether it's a Moore uh, you know Will Smith is obviously a tremendous player I don't think at this point there's any chance he gets to them and I think Perot like maybe he doesn't have that quite kind of like you know the, the the physical like high high compete, but I think the hockey sense is obvious. And I you know I thought it was interesting our uh, our prospect player Corey Pronman the comparison he had on Perot was Lucas Raymond, and so I obviously the Red Wings like Lucas Raymond's profile enough to draft him. And would you like to get a player who who kind of compares in that style at, at number nine? Hey, why not? Right. So I do think this year that there's several guys in that in that uh, NTDP team who who you could know I fit know it's the, the draft is still several weeks away. Uh, 
I know you've made at least one pick who you think they might do. There's probably going to be you, – you might have – you know, I, I'm not sure uh, the Athletic wants you to do a Red Wing pick every week or something leading up to the draft. But <laughs> uh, at, at this point, on May 11th, regardless of who you've speculated before, do you have a gut feeling? Where do you, who's, who's number nine? Where's Detroit going to go? I keep coming back to Leonard. That's who I picked in our staff mock. Now, is he on the board? Uh, that's that's my big question. If it's not him, I, I kind of feel like Nate Danielson has a lot of fit for them. I actually think I see some rhyme in his game and Marco Casper's game. One thing is, you know, Danielson is, is a little bit older. He's a late birthday, too. And how do you weigh that? I don't know. So I, I think that would kind of be right now. I think I'd say Leonard. And then if not Leonard, maybe Danielson. But uh, like I said, I, I'm not... Uh, I'm not bold enough to, to try to read their minds. <laughs> so that's just well, my guess. You know, I, I think that, you know, I, I think that Oliver Moore is going to be in the mix just because of his speed. I agree. Uh, but, but, but you're right. I really don't know. I do think it's going to be a forward and I do think preferably a center. So uh, yeah. if I had to make a pick right now, I would, uh, I would have to say, first of all, the guy I would want, as you said, but we don't think he's going to be there is Will Smith. And uh, I, yeah. I think he would be a wonderful addition to the Red Wings. If it can't be Will Smith, I would have no problem with Oliver Moore, Ryan Leonard at all. And perhaps, and this probably is wishful thinking on my part, at 17 or 18, I would go Gabe Perot. I know I sounded like Mr. USA here today, but, uh, you know, those guys were impressive at the U18s. But again, they're playing against their contemporaries, which always kind of skews it a bit. Right, exactly, and that that is always tough to account for. But I think you just listed off some outstanding players, and you know what? It's not out of the question that they could come away with maybe two of those guys. Now we would be going from the Red Wings drafting one NTDP kid in four years to two in the first round of one year. That would be a little bit of a surprise. I don't think it's crazy that that two of those guys could be yeah, available. Yeah, and probably it, wishful thinking, trying to get into Steve's mind. I think Eiserman would love to draft Eiserman next year. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, after the tournament he just had, I think uh, I, I think he's going to have 31 uh, GMs who feel yeah, similarly well, I, to that. I've been telling people, uh, my joke is it, it appeared that one time the, the most popular name amongst uh, young people uh, now, especially hockey players, was Ryan. There were Ryans all over the place. Now I think it's Cole. Everybody's... Cole yeah, and Cole Connor, and Connor right? seem to be, Everyone's a Cole or exactly a Connor. Right. Cole and Connor seem to be the big names now uh, in hockey. So uh, uh, so we'll see if the Red Wings follow that trend. Uh, how about 17 and 18? Max, what do you think they're going to do? Yeah, I mean, it, it, the, the later you get, the tougher it is because you don't know who's going to be there. But I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, in, in our staff mock, Colby Barlow got to number 16. Um, and I don't know if he'll get to that far in the real draft, but if him, uh, maybe Samuel Hanzik, uh, one of those D that we just talked about. I think those would be really all really strong candidates. Um, Braden Yeager, I, I think he might have gone in our staff mock uh, before then, but Yeager's another one who I think could, you know has a lot of those elements that they like, and he just is coming off a really great uh, WHL playoff run that he had. That that team pushed the absolutely loaded Winnipeg Ice to. I think it only went to six games, but I think they put a scare into him. I think they led that series at one point, and Yeager seemed to be in on everything in that series, so. Uh, but Barlow's kind of that big body goal scorer that I think they need. Uh, Hanzik's a, a, a big time athlete, 6'4, moves pretty well. Uh, he can score as well. Uh, two way guy. 
Uh, Jaeger's a little bit smaller, but there's good good uh, skating and good compete for him. And he, he came into the year one of those kind of maybe top 10 picks uh, that people thought didn't end up having the year people thought he would, but there is that history and pedigree. Um, and if you could get one of the uh, D that we talked about, if one of them slides to 17, you get your right shot D there. I think that'd be a really good outcome too. So that's kind of the mix. And then the Russians, like we talked about right. Simashev. I know people don't want to hear about a left D. I just think he's a really good player and he looks so much like the Red Wings, you know, prototype D to me that I would have a hard time, um, you know, not including him. And he's got a teammate, Daniil Boot, who uh, is 6'4", tools, he moves well, good hands. Like that. that's another player who I would have a hard time seeing go too late before he gets drafted. I just think someone's going to really right, like the right. tools. Right, right. And it is a butt and not a butt even though that's the way it's spelled. So yeah, like like the uh as my colleague Corey always says, it'd be funny for him to go to Montreal because it's the same spelling as the word the French word for goal. Oh, really? I'm not up yeah. on my French. All right, well, I'm going to have to write that one down. I'm going to I'm going to use that and not attribute <laughs> it to anybody but myself there, Max. Uh, <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, okay, this is a couple of names that I like, and I actually thought he came on in the U18s. That's Matthew Wood. He's a big guy. He plays at the University of Connecticut. I don't know if maybe 17, 18 would be too high for him, but... He has the size and seems to have that high compete level. And even though some of the stars weren't there for Team Canada, he seemed to embrace that moment. Yes. You're talking about Wood? Yeah, no, I, I, he had a great year. And, and he's a guy who, when you look at his production that he had at NCAA Hockey, uh, it's really impressive. I mean, you don't usually see Adam Fantilli this year is maybe given a skewed ex- expectation for what is reasonable to expect of, a, of an 18-year-old, a, a freshman in college hockey. But you see a kid put up, you know, a point per game in his draft year, you're usually talking about him really high in the draft. So you talk about the size, the scoring, uh, he's a right-hand shot. I, you know, the question is going to be the skating. And I think the Red Wings have seemed to, to pick mostly guys who can skate when they're, when they're picking pretty high in the draft. That'd be my question. But sometimes when you're 6'3", you don't have the expectations for what you're going to be as a skater aren't as, aren't as high for obvious reasons. So uh, he's a guy that seems like he, he improved his stock at the U18. There's no well, doubt about look that. Look at uh, Michael Rasmussen, where his skating has come. You know what I mean? So, uh, yep. And obviously Michael's bigger than Matthew Wood. And there's another guy, and I know I'm going to sound like a real homer, uh, that I don't think they would pick him at 17 or 18, but I would love to see him be, if they keep all three of their second-round picks, I would love Gavin Brindley from Michigan to be a Red Wing. I mean, that kid just, He's such a likable know, player. He just see he to me he has an it factor. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean he he's a small guy. There's no doubt about it. But he can skate really well. He's got some skill. His production was really good as a freshman too. Where did he end up? Was he did he end up pretty close to a point per game? Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I know he, he moved on to Fantilli's line at one point. Thirty six points uh, in uh, uh, thirty five uh, thirty five game or thirty eight games, thirty six points, eleven twenty five. And then I think with the postseason, it ended up at, at 38 and 41. So that's pretty close, too, for a, a smaller guy. He, he's a little bit of a late birthday, but not by, you know, he's October birthday. But for those smaller guys, I even have a hard time holding that right, against definitely. them, right? So, you know, 5'9", he's a small player, but, I you know, he's outstanding. So he, he had a great year. I love the compete, and uh, I think the Red Wings will like the compete, too, to go with the skating and, and the skill. So I, I'd agree with you. I don't know if I see it at 17 or 18, but... Right. Like All right. Now, sure. I, I I don't know. I'm again asking you to speculate. 
uh, you know, at, at this point, you know, I asked Steve this and, you know, he's certainly going to wheel and deal. You know, uh, there's speculation that this could be, as usual, a big summer for the Red Wings, and which I would assume would have to be free agent acquisitions and perhaps a trade or two. But the draft is over. All right. It's that uh, it's like Thursday and Friday this year. Uh, I don't know, June 23rd or 24th, whenever it's done. How many of those 10 picks that they have are still are are they going to use all 10? Or do you think that you're going to see all kinds of things happening? I think you're going to see all kinds of things happening. Now, my big question is if they do make a trade for somebody, are they going to trade one of these this year's picks? I mean, first of all, three three picks in a row in round two. I don't think they're going to make three picks in a row in round two, whether they trade up, whether they trade back. That would be kind of unusual, yes. wouldn't it? But, um, you know, so I'll say if they got 10, I'll say they make eight, uh, whether it's some moves up or back or maybe a little bit of both. That's my guess. Um, but I'm really curious if they make a trade for a scorer, like an established guy, do you think that they would trade one of this year's picks knowing, hey, that Islander pick looks quite possibly like it's going to be number 17. Do you really think the Bruins pick next year is going to be much better than that? Would you rather trade that pick uh, knowing that, you know, with a certainty of what you know with this year's versus the uncertainty of next year's? No, I, I agree with you. You know, I, I if I were the Red Wings, I would I – would st- in this year's draft, I would keep both of my first round picks. If I do trade, if I trade the seventeenth pick, let's say, let's just for sake, I would only trade the seventeenth pick if I think I could move up in this draft and maybe throw in one of those second round picks. I might do something like yeah, that, I- but if I can't do anything like that. I'm happy with them going at 9 and 17 or 18, or whatever the case may be. And that would be very similar to what we saw them do the last time they had two first-round right. picks, right? They had the 23rd pick, I believe it was, and they used it to move up to 15 to get Kosa. Um, so I, I, there's a precedent for that for sure. My only question is, like, what, what team is going to – maybe Pittsburgh at 14 is kind of who you'd circle. Because Buffalo, they've, they've already had so many picks in recent years. Arizona's got – you know, a ton of picks. I don't even know if they need another second round pick. Although they don't have that many in the second this year, but they've got three in the uh, four in the second each of the next two years. That's crazy. Uh, maybe they would do it at 12. I don't know. Vancouver. Well, that's who you got the first and the second round pick from. So I don't know. Pittsburgh at 14. If, if you think one of those guys you really like at nine is still there at 14. Yeah, you I, you're, you're right. It know. all depends on who's ahead of them and if they have a trading partner. Uh, uh, you, you know, Max, I know we're running out of time here, so I, I, I really wanted to ask you, I, I know the World Championships are coming up, which up until very, very recently were a blip on the radar screen uh, in the United States, maybe a little bit in Canada, too. Very, very big in Europe. I, I can remember Nick Lindstrom telling me that when he was growing up, his aspiration was not to play in the NHL, but was to make the Canadian uh, world team and win the World Championship. Uh Yes, the yeah, Swedish, for Sweden, yeah. obviously, but but I guess my point being is is that this is a pretty big tournament, and I know there's a lot of Red Wing flavor all across it. There's many uh, current Red Wings playing. Jake Wallman had to drop out for Team Canada for an upper body injury. We hope he's all right. But if I'm looking at it, and I, and I watch all these games, is that I am actually, and the reason was de-emphasized because it's during NHL playoff time. Uh, it, it but. Is Carter Mazur's the guy I want to see? I mean, I really want to see 
what's this kid all about, and he'll get a great opportunity at the World Championship. Yeah, I agree. And, and, and I saw in one of his pre-tournament games, he's already had a couple assists uh, in that game. And I think he's he's one of those guys where, you know, I think the World Championships for guys who are coming out of, whether it's college or junior or whatever else, even European pro to an extent, um, and, and looking to make the jump to the NHL. And I think Carter Mazur has a chance to do that next year. I think it's a great kind of in-between, right? You get a little bit of NHL guys and a little bit of guys who are coming from your level, but certainly older players than most likely what you've been playing for recent years, probably a little bit more skill than what you've been used to. So I think it's a great stepping stone. I'm fascinated to see what Carter Mazur does. I'm also really excited to see what Lucas Raymond does because he's a guy coming off a year that I don't think probably went how maybe he or or anyone else were hoping it would have gone for him. Not a bad year, but just not quite probably what was... What, would, what the hope would have been, it would not shock me if he tears up this tournament and uses it as a springboard. Similar to what we've seen guys like Anthony Mantha and Philip Peronick do with right, that Right, right, and Mantha really came into his own. I think he had 10 goals for Team Canada. Uh, That's right. I remember that tournament. He was playing for uh, Elaine right, Vigneault, exactly. right? He really you know, came on his own. Anthony Mantha, wish him the best always, but you know, it looks like uh, Washington might, might be wanting to move him too this uh, offseason, according to Scuttle. But uh, uh, one final question, and then, Max, I'll let you go, and we'll continue this conversation real, real soon before the draft. I always appreciate you being on the Red and White Authority. How surprised are you when Mo Sider pretty much seemed pretty adamant that he wasn't going to play in this tournament? And lo and behold, Germany just announces, guess who's playing for us? Mo Sider. Yeah, I really wondered what happened there. Did he? Did he? Was he just like feeling banged up and felt like he was good enough to go, or maybe he just, maybe he's been watching the playoffs and got the itch. I don't know, but something happened, and uh, obviously goes without saying. He he should be one of the very best players at the event. Maybe yeah, maybe the yeah, best there's player. There's no question. The I mean, I always love watching him play, certainly, uh, but I was stunned when I heard that he was uh, that he agreed to do it because you know we were there, we were on that press conference. It it was like, I mean, he. You know, no hesitation in his voice at all. No, I'm not doing it. Right. <laughs> you know, and boom, there he is. But uh, all right, Max. Well, we'll uh, we'll end this conversation here. I do enjoy uh, talking to you as always. I appreciate your time here on the Red and White Authority, and uh, we'll talk to you very, very soon. Thanks, Max.